Hello again. Hopefully you're not tired of me yet. Up and down. Up and down. <laughs> um, so we're continuing a series that I believe you've been looking at in First Peter. And yeah, Peter making an argument for the impact that the Word of God should have in our lives. I there is something that is often said, I don't know if you found it, when in particular settings of church life, whenever a reading is read from the Bible and there's that sense of, do you, you know, may God bless the reading of his word in our hearts. Are you, are you familiar with that phrase? And just reflecting on First Peter in the last week, it suddenly took on a new meaning for me. Peter is arguing that having been born of the word of God, our lives should be fully transformed and what should shape us should be a life filled with love. And I get where he's coming from because there's a sense in which God says about himself. So a lot of people say a lot of things about God. But God says about himself, I am filled with unfailing love. I think about it when, so if you said about someone, you said, oh, that, that guy, he's filled with garbage. You know, it means that whenever you speak to him, you're just getting nonsense. You know, like he's filled with garbage. That's all you get. And so when God says, I am filled with unfailing love, that means that whenever we encounter God, what we get, is love. That has to be the impact because that's what flows out of him. And so Peter makes that argument and he says that, well, if we are born of God's word, and something to really be mindful of there, that when he talks about being born of the word of God, he's not just talking about born of the, the pages in a book, but the spirit of the word. And he said, if, we are, if this is what has given birth to us, then we too should also be filled with love. Love should also be what pours out of us. But the reality is that, I don't know about you, but, but being real, I don't know that love is what always pours out of me. And there are many reasons why. You know, sometimes you're tired and though you want to be the most amazing, loving parent in the world, you know those moments when you're just like, oh, I messed up, didn't I? I allowed, I allowed tired daddy get out. Sometimes you, are, you feel without any energy. Sometimes you're afraid, you're anxious. Sometimes we're anxious or we're tired or we're angry about something or we're insecure about something else. Or we're in a season where there's a lot of unknowns. There are a lot of things that get in the way and prevent us from living a life of love. But Peter argues and he says, but no, 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 this should not be the case. If you were born by the word of God, by the spirit of God, then that should be the fruit. That should be what comes out. And he mirrors throughout First Peter, he mirrors some teachings of Jesus where Jesus says, in words that always challenges me, he says, or by their fruit you would know them. A good tree will produce good fruit. And Peter is saying, oh, this should be the case. And it reminded me of 
two passages in Scripture because Peter uses um, the analogy of seed to talk about the Word of God. And he reminded me of two passages in Scripture that on the surface seem to contradict each other. So there's God speaking through Isaiah the prophet in Isaiah 55, and God says, my word will always come to pass. It will accomplish the purpose for which I sent it. And I love the New Living Translation that says it will prosper. It will be fruitful. And so this is where Peter is leaning into and saying, if the word of God gave birth to you, then it will be fruitful. Then it will do exactly what it says on the tin. It's like the adverts. You know the adverts about battery. You've got the Duracell Bunny battery. You've got the other one. And it's like, you know which battery you have because if you, if you keep going on and on and on, it's Duracell. If it's not, then it's whatever brand they mention. And Peter's like, yeah, you've got the Holy Spirit, so you will be resilient. You will just keep going on and on and on in love and joy and peace. And it's like, slow down, Peter. Calm down. Because then there is the other narrative where Jesus tells the parable of the sower talking about the Word of God. And then Jesus says, there are some instances where the word of God is not fruitful in particular spaces. And you're saying, hold on, hold on. But Jesus, as God, you said the word will always be fruitful. It would always accomplish what you sent it to do. It would always prosper. That's what you said. And then you've come here as God and you've said the word in some spaces will not produce fruit. It's like Come on, Lord, we're already confused. Which, which one is it? Which, which one is it? And the reality is that the words are the same. Because at the beginning of Isaiah 55, God is offering an invitation to us and saying that we have a part to play in this as well. His word will always prosper where he sends it. But his word and his spirit will never impose itself on us. We have a role to play as well. I think it was last year, and I didn't think Joshua would be in the room when, I'm, when I was saying this, but, so I might get in trouble later, so pray for me. But I think it was, I think it was last year when we went as a family um, to an amuse, to, a, to Creeley, where, what would you call Creeley? A theme park of sorts. And as Emma and Asha had gone for a ride, I was hanging out with Joshi, and I, I bought him some donuts. And Joshi is like, just sat down, he's chilling, he has his donut, he has his chocolate, he's dunking, he's having fun. But he didn't know that there was some pesky seagull just somewhere, just watching him, just waiting for the opportune moment. And when Joshi's in paying attention, this seagull just swoops in, and grabs the donut off his hands. I think the seagull even dunked the donut in the chocolate as well. It wasn't more than, he just took it, dunked it, and, and took off. And Joshua's just, just like, oh no. And, and it just reminded me so much of when Jesus speaks about how sometimes when the word of God comes to us, it's not able to save because it lands, you know, on, it, it's stolen immediately by the enemy. It doesn't get in there. And it just made me think, how many times does 
God sent his word to save me, but my heart is too closed to receive it? Have you ever found yourself in a space where you were anxious and then a word comes, a song shows up, a word comes up, to, and that word is speaking directly to your anxiety? And maybe for a few minutes you get it, but after a while you allow all the other arguments to take place and you're like, yeah, but what if this happens and what if that happens and all of a sudden we're back anxious again. And, and that happens so many times and there's that line in Revelations where Jesus says, I stand at the door and knock and if you let me in, I will come in and, and do life with you pretty much. And I think God's word is the same with his, his spirit. It comes and it stands at the door of our hearts and it knocks. But the fruitfulness of that word depends on whether we let it in. Whether, whether the doors are slammed shut. Whether it's, you know, it's icy at the moment and it's all iced around and we need to defrost the doors of our hearts or whether we can let that word in so that it can save us. And so it just got me thinking. I was like, that is so true. Are the doors of my heart shut to God's word? Or sometimes perhaps the doors of our hearts are open to the word. We're like, yes, I need this word that will grant me peace or joy or or just rest. Because when once this happens, then we can begin to be the people God calls us to be. And perhaps our hearts are open to the word. But maybe sometimes our hearts are filled with so much other stuff. You know how it is as parents or when we were kids and it's like, oh, you say to your, your child, like, oh, can I have um, ice cream for breakfast? You're like, no, not really. Or can I have, surely if I have ice cream, chocolate and chips, surely that's some sort of balanced diet. Surely, in some way. And, and so many times, you, as a parent, you find yourself saying to your child, you find yourself saying, don't eat all that rubbish. Make space for the thing that is actually going to fill you up. Make space for the thing that is actually good for you. Don't fill up on all that other stuff. But as children, we always wanted to fill up on all that other stuff. And I wonder whether as God's children today, there's a sense in which his spirit also says to us, don't, don't fill up on all that other stuff. Make space for what will actually fill you up. Make space for what is actually good for you. The word of God moving by his spirit. What can actually fill you with peace? What can actually fill you with hope? What can actually fill you with joy? Make space for that. Peter says, crave pure spiritual milk. Crave the thing that will actually make the difference. And I remember Jesus journeying with the people on earth when he was here. There was, do, you, do you ever feel jealous of the Israelite people? You're like, you guys don't know how good you had it. You physically had Jesus there, you know, and you crucified it. Come on, guys. We, we crucify him every day anyway. We can't really talk. 
But when Jesus was there, he would say sometimes to the people, he would say, you don't have room for my word. That's why you're producing the fruits that you're producing, because you don't have room for my word. And sometimes I wonder if Jesus may say the same thing to me in particular seasons and say, you have filled yourself with your doubts. You have filled yourself with your resentment. You have filled yourself with your fear. You have filled yourself with, with your pain and what this person did and what that person said. You have filled yourself up so much with these other things that you don't, you don't have room for the word that will save you. And that's the key, isn't it? The belief that the word will save us. Because the thing that happens for our children, our children they don't really believe that vegetables are better than chocolate. If I'm honest, I still don't believe that vegetables are better than chocolate. I still need convincing. Maybe you can convince me in the Q&A afterwards. But they need convincing about the reality that, no, actually, this is good for you. But the thing is that God's word isn't even Brussels sprout. Apologies for those who love Brussels sprout. It's, it's good. David declares, taste and see that the Lord is good. And there's a sense in which when we're engaging with God's word, like I said earlier, Peter is not just talking about head knowledge. He's not just talking about knowing the stuff. Because back when Jesus walked, Peter would have seen that there were a lot of Pharisees and religious leaders who knew the stuff. They could recite the Old Testament just like that. But when the God who the Old Testament was speaking about was right there in front of them, they couldn't recognize him. They didn't know who he was. But they knew the stuff, but they didn't know the God who he was about. And when, when Peter talks about how we have been born into this word and how this word should transform us, he's not just talking about head knowledge. He's talking about knowing the person of Jesus. That's why he says, and this word is the good news that was preached to you. It's about the person of Jesus. And Jesus himself would say, pay attention to how you listen. Pay attention to how you listen. And he said something that initially when I used to read it, I used to feel a bit, you know, there's some things that Jesus says that you kind of feel like, oh, Jesus, I wish you really didn't say that. And when Jesus would say, like, to whom has more, even more will be given. And to whom has a little, even that little they have will be taken away. And I, and I kind of feel like, oh, Jesus, that's, that's a bit harsh. But he's talking about it in the context of pay attention to how you listen. And there's that sense in which when we are open 
to God's word, moving through his spirit, we will receive more and more and become more and more full. But there's a sense in which sometimes we begin that journey of faith, isn't it? And at the beginning, we receive particular words and then we fill up on all of the stuff. And there is only so much. I mean, this world cannot sustain us, really. We hold on to treasures of this world and we think, oh, if I have all these things, I'll be okay. But it's not too long before we discover that they're just idols that let us down. We need the pure spiritual milk. We need to cry out for this word of God that gives us fullness of life. And Peter finishes with David, so I I guess I'll finish with David as well. Because he talks about, now that you have had a taste of the Lord's kindness, cry out for more of this. And it goes from David's psalm in Psalm 34 where he says, taste and see that the Lord is good. You see, taste, try God and discover that he is good. And something struck me about David's story this year. You know when the Israelites were facing Goliath? For everyone in Israel at that time, there was, there was one giant, and that giant was Goliath. For everyone. Goliath was the giant, this big, scary man that was threatening to slaughter everyone, and everyone was scared of him. But for David, the giant in his life was not Goliath. It was his faith in God. It is what he knew about God. That's what the giant in his life was. And so while everyone responded to Goliath, and rightly so, with anxiety and fear and worry, and this is the end, David was able to be like, nah, I'll take him. I'll I'll take him. Because his heart, the giant in his life, was the picture of his God that he had. And that didn't happen just overnight. That happened from seeds of God's word sown in his life over time and experiences of God's faithfulness over time. And don't get me wrong, there were points in David's journey where he too was afraid and he too wrestled. But it did make me think, especially when Jesus always uses that analogy of a seed, you know, whether it's the mustard seed or the seed of his word that There's a sense in which if we nurture God's word that is sown in us in the right way, if we are open to it, if we create space for it, the person that holds that status of the giant in our lives changes. Does that make sense? Like there's that sense where people say, you know, stop telling your Stop telling your God how big your mountain is and start telling your mountain how big your God is. And it's nice, it rolls off the tongue. But there's a sense in which we would, in this world, in this broken world, as Sharon was praying earlier, in this broken world, even Jesus is honest about it. He says, 
We will face a lot of troubles in this broken world. But where does he ask us to place our hope and our peace? In the truth that he has overcome the world. I think the enemy always takes advantage of what we do not know or what we do not understand. And so when we do not know our God, and when we do not understand who we are in him, it's easy for him to drag us into dark places. But when the storm comes, the grace that we have is that we are reminded of the one who holds our hands, that he never loses a battle, that he always wins, that even death itself cannot defeat him. But all these truths that give us strength, all these truths that transform us so that we are able to love each other well because we are not held back by the other burdens that we carry. These truths are found in the Word of God moving through the Spirit of God. And so I wonder if, as Peter invited the church back then, if he will invite us today and say, pay attention to how you listen because God is always sending his word to save us. And even right now, whatever the journey you're on, whatever the story that you're part of, wherever you find yourself in season of life, your Father in heaven knows exactly what you need. And he has sent his word through his spirit to save you for right now. Are you listening? Are we listening? Amen. Let us